Open the podcast bay door as hell. Welcome to a very special episode of Welcome to Geek Town, available as a podcast as normal or on YouTube. I'm your host, Kurt Onstead, and I was invited by Jenny the Geek and Gwendolyn J. Stone to contribute to this special DC Defined series. When asked to participate and come up with the one story or moment that defined DC for me, the choice was simple. Although I grew up on a steady diet of The Adventures of Superman and The Batman TV Show, in syndication, I'm not that old, as well as watching Super Friends on Saturday morning, when I got into comics, it was through Marvel and not DC. I bought The Death and Return of Superman, because if you were buying comics at all at that point, you pretty much had to. But it wasn't until a few months later that I really started branching out to check out the rest of the DC Universe. And thus for me, the return of Barry Allen is DC Defined. Again, being interested in superheroes from a young age, I knew The Flash a little from the Super Friends cartoon, as well as the CBS series starring John Wesley Shipp in the early 90s. And from basically geek osmosis, I knew that while the live-action Flash I had met was Barry Allen, that character had died in the comics during the epic Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline, and that the current comic book Flash was Wally West. If you need a primer on Crisis and some of the other DC reboots, check out episode 1 of my podcast, available in any podcast aggregator as well as on YouTube. So when I saw the upcoming Flash storyline was called The Return of Barry Allen, my curiosity was piqued. While there were a couple of panels in issue 72 leading up to this that teased a major storyline ahead, the tale truly begins on the final page of issue 73, when, during a holiday celebration, a knock on the door is revealed to be none other than Barry Allen, the Silver Age Flash. In issue 74, Barry tells us what he remembers of how he got here, which is not much, but a ring scan from guest Hal Jordan, aka Green Lantern, lets Wally know that what Barry is telling them is the truth. Wally is still somewhat suspicious, however, until the end of this issue when Barry finally goes to visit the grave of his wife and Wally's aunt, Iris. In a touching scene, the two flashes really reconnect over their shared love. In the meantime, Wally is also dealing with the rise of a new criminal syndicate in the area known as the Combine. With advanced tech available to them, they are a definite challenge for a single flash, but with help from Barry, as well as Jay Garrick, the Golden Age Flash, Wally is ready to storm the warehouse a tip has led them to believe the Combine is hiding in, and take them on directly. During the ensuing melee, a blast destroys a nearby wall, burying Wally in rubble, prompting the tank driver to claim that the Combine have 
killed the Flash. Barry, hearing this, flies into a rage. Everyone assumes this is because Barry wants revenge for the apparent death of his former sidekick. However, Wally hears something different when he recovers and frees himself from the wreckage. Over the din, when he gets closer, he can hear the true source of Barry's rage. I'm the Flash! Do you understand me, punk? I'm the Flash! Wally does his best to put this disturbing moment aside, wanting to believe the best of his mentor. When he finally gets a lead on the Combine's headquarters, he and Barry go together, but end up in a trap left specifically for them. A slowly shrinking force field that even Barry, with his superior speed, can't vibrate his way through. However, the younger Flash comes up with a plan. Barry jumpstarts Wally's hand on a vibration, as Wally is not able to start one on his own. Then, Barry moves to a different frequency, and the force field is not able to deal with both at once, allowing Barry to escape. This also damages the field enough that Wally's vibrating hand now gets through. He asks Barry to help him vibrate the rest of his body through the force field, and this is when things get truly dark. Barry accuses his protege of trying to usurp the Flash name. He promises to punish Central City for forgetting him and leaves Wally to die, still mostly trapped inside the force field. Wally does hold the vibration, though, and moves it through his body, allowing him to escape. Wally allows most of the world to believe he's died, first telling only his girlfriend Linda. And after a brief moment of self-pity, picks himself back up again and tries to figure out why Barry is acting the way he is. He ends up back at the alley where Barry first reappeared and discovers a book that had been left behind that ends up providing all the evidence he needs to discover what really happened, although the audience doesn't get that reveal until later. In the background of all of this, Jay has been seen recruiting other Golden Age speedsters, as he also sensed something was off with Barry, and wanted backup in case it went as bad as he suspected it might. Johnny Quick is the first recruit, a former All-Star Squadron member and current motivational speaker slash corporate head. And the next is a character named Max, who both Johnny and Jay look up to. Often referred to as the Zen Master of Speed in future appearances, this is the first modern appearance of Max Mercury, a reinvention of a 1940s National Comics character named Quicksilver. Writer Mark Wade changed his name to avoid legal issues with Marvel's Speedster. After a brief battle between these three and Barry at a construction site, the trio of Golden Age Speedsters work with Wally, who had later revealed to Jay that he was still alive, trying to get him to be able to match speed with Barry. Johnny tries to teach Wally the mathematical formula that powers Johnny's speed, but that doesn't seem to take. Max has a more psychological explanation for Wally's speed limit. He believes Wally is afraid to reach his former mentor's velocity, as that will be the moment that he truly replaces Barry. Wally rejects this notion, and the four move their discussion to the book Wally had discovered and Wally's plan, both of which remain secret to the readers for now, 
although we know it involves the elder speedsters leading Barry to the Flash Museum, where Wally will be waiting. Speaking of Barry, we find him freeing the prisoners at Central City's penitentiary. Jay, Johnny, and Max get there quickly, as they do pretty much everything. And while Johnny and Max help quell the riot, Jay fights Barry and rips the Flash logo off of his costume, saying he doesn't deserve to wear it. Barry breaks Jay's leg, knocks out the other two speedsters, and runs to the Flash Museum to get another costume. And this is where Wally is waiting to hand over a Flash costume ring, but the costume inside is not the Flash's. Instead, we finally get the reveal that Barry is actually Eobard Thawn, aka the Reverse Flash. Those of you who have listened to past episodes of my show will know that I love time travel stories. And this one's a doozy. See, from Wally's point of view, Eobard Thawne died in the past, having been killed by Barry Allen just a little bit before Crisis. However, the Thawne that showed up now is actually from earlier in his own timeline. In fact, this is the first time Thawne traveled back in time from the 25th century. Doctor Who fans may be reminded of River Song with some of this, but just to remind you, this story was written 15 years before River's first appearance on the show. In Thawne's early life, he worshipped the Flash, even going so far as to get his appearance altered to look like Barry. And when he found the cosmic treadmill in an antique store, he took the time travel device, then experimented on himself in order to gain the same speed powers as Barry so he could use it to travel back in time and meet his idol. However, the cosmic treadmill, after years of neglect, was not as precise as it once was, so Thon instead arrived after Barry's death. Deciding to visit the Flash Museum, he discovered a fact that had been lost to history which is that he was Barry's hated enemy, the Reverse Flash, and was slated to die sometime in his future at the hands of his former idol. This, in addition to the rattling journey through time, broke Thon, and he lost himself in a fantasy that he himself was Barry Allen. And that delusion was so deep that Thon believed it himself enough to fool Green Lantern's ring earlier in the story. Flash and Reverse Flash fight for a little, but Thon still has a giant advantage in speed, so he's winning easily when the cavalry show up in the form of Max Mercury, Johnny Quick, and Green Lantern. Thon soon ducks out of the four-on-one fight, but not before bragging about taking out Jay. Cut to the hospital, where Jay is convalescing, assuring everyone that thanks to his speed healing, he'll be back up and running in no time, despite his wife, who is also a doctor, saying he may never run again. Wally and the rest discuss what they can do in order to send Thon back to his own time, which they know he must if the timeline is to be preserved. However, their discussion is interrupted by the TV, where Wally's girlfriend Linda is interviewing the mayor, when Reverse Flash shows up, kills the mayor on camera, then threatens Linda's life. Wally races off to rescue her, and the two speedsters resume their fight. Again, with Thawne so much faster than Wally, it's very one-sided, until Thawne makes his biggest mistake, saying, 
Once you're out of my way, I really will make this city forget Barry Allen. From now on, when they remember the Flash, they'll remember me. Right before running off again. Wally realizes that yes, fear of replacing Barry has been holding him back. But as afraid as he is of replacing Barry, he's even more afraid of letting Thawne do it. His mental blocks fall, and suddenly it's a fair fight, as Wally gets the full speed back he had as a youth. They trade blows back and forth, and at first, an unlucky slip in the rain makes it look like Wally's down for the count. But a single stroke of lightning strikes between the two men, which is implied to have come from the real Barry, and gives Wally the chance to get back up and to turn the tide. He slaps Thon around a little while, then gets on the cosmic treadmill, threatening to terrorize the reverse Flash the same way Thon has done to him. As he runs on the treadmill and seems to disappear, Thon assumes he traveled through time and runs on the treadmill after him. Thon goes back to where he came from. As it turns out, Wally had set the treadmill to 2460, the same year the reverse flash had come from, then jumped off and hid so quickly as to seem to disappear to even Thon's eyes. The heroes congratulate themselves on a job well done, and that's nearly the end, with just a brief epilogue of Wally and Linda walking around town, with Wally's narration running over it, where we learn that Jay is recovering, Johnny went back to his corporation, and Max is... out there somewhere. And we finally get the full reveal of the book that provided the truth about Thawne. It's the Life Story of the Flash, a biography written about Barry Allen soon in Wally's future by Iris West Allen, Barry's wife and Wally's aunt, who is currently believed to be dead, having been killed by Thawne himself in the past. Knowing that his aunt is returning to him somehow, Wally is in a hopeful place. But while Max skimmed through the book and told Wally that there's some interesting tidbits about Wally's own future, Wally and Linda toss the book into the river unread, letting the future write itself. So, what makes this story so important as to be DC-defined? Granted, for me, it's the story that really got me into the DC Comics universe. But I think it's important in a more universal way for two reasons. Number one, this is the first story where it's implied that there is a single source of power for all of the DC Universe's speedsters. A few issues later, Max Mercury, who went on to basically be the co-lead of the Impulse book that came out a couple of years down the line, names it the Speed Force, and it would become one of the defining elements of the Flash and related characters for decades to come, and more recently expanded out to the rest of the DC Universe at large, as other universal forces were brought to light that, along with the Speed Force, are primordial energies that define the universe, just as much as gravity, electromagnetism, or other similar forces define our universe. This addition to the DC canon has been the jumping-off point for some of the most important stories since its inception. If that were the only point, that would still make this tale one of note. But there's something else that makes this story, and Mark Wade's run on Flash in general, even more important. 
Since the introduction of Earth 2 in the famous Flash of Two Worlds story in Flash number 123, there's been a generational aspect to the DC Universe that separated it from the far younger Marvel Universe for the most part. The first generation were the World War II era heroes, aka the Justice Society of America. Then the modern heroes of the Silver Age who made up the Justice League of America were the second generation. And then there's the third generation. One of the big differences between Marvel and DC is that, for the most part, Marvel doesn't do kid sidekicks. Stan Lee was never a fan of the concept, and so heroes in the Marvel Universe don't have younger counterparts that follow them around like DC does still to this day. Robin, Speedy, Aqualad, and, most importantly for this discussion, Kid Flash were regular supporting characters for Batman, Green Arrow, Aquaman, and Flash respectively for decades. Now, as the comic book reading audience grew older over the years, the sidekicks started to grow up as well, and some of them graduated to new roles that were less tied to their mentors. Robin became Nightwing, Speedy became Arsenal, Aqualad became Tempest. But in the aftermath of Crisis on Infinite Earths, Wally was the first of the kid sidekicks to actually take on the mantle of the hero that inspired and trained them. And this change stuck for years, with no sign that it would revert back. In the comics, Wally was the Flash. However, for the first few years, Wally wasn't all that likable. He was a womanizer, irresponsible with money, and generally had a chip on his shoulder. However, when Mark Wade took over, a lot of this changed. Wally, despite being an adult for years in the comics, finally grew up. And although he had worn the costume since 1986, this 1992 story is where Wally truly accepts that Barry is gone for good and that he is now the Flash. And with that mental block out of the way, Wally becomes a better person and a better hero. This story truly defined Wally West, who quickly became my favorite DC superhero. For all of these reasons and more, the return of Barry Allen is DC Defined. Now, if anything I've talked about this episode inspired a question from you, or you just want to comment on the show in general, I'd be happy to hear from you. Feel free to send any and all comments and questions via email to welcome to geektown, all spelled out, at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website, welcome to, the number two in this case, geektown.com, and click the submit a question link if you'd prefer to remain anonymous. Other contact options include facebook.com slash welcome to geektown, or twitter at geektownpodcast. Also, if you'd like to support the show directly, come join the Patreon at patreon.com slash welcome to geektown for just a dollar per month to get access to full scripts of the shows, outtakes, and a monthly shout-out. You can also help the show grow by subscribing and giving a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts to join the Geek Town City Council, which helps other people find the show so we can all tell them, Welcome to Geek Town, Population, Us. Welcome to Geek Town is written, narrated, edited, and produced by me, Kurt Onstead. Theme music is by Aaron Levitz, logo art by Archie Santana. All other sound clips are the copyrighted material of their respective owners, and no infringement is intended, falling under fair use.